And I'm definitely a geek. This past weekend, we had the final of four special Saturday events at my job. Now, normally I work on weekdays, but I got wrangled into doing tech for this event with the promise of an extra day off around the holidays. Everything was going great. I was running video and audio off of my iPad Pro to a sound system and a projector. The opening ceremony went off without a hitch. I was having a lot of fun, and I even DJed a little bit, playing some cool movie scores and soundtrack music. And then it came time for the big finale, all that was left, and I, I literally mean all that was left to do, was play one video. One video. And then we could cruise on home, a job well done, pat ourselves on the back, and go get a beer, even though I don't drink. But anyway, I started playback, chilled out, maxed, relaxed, all cool, and I was shooting. We weren't shooting some b-ball. But a couple of guys, or, or rather my Apple Pencil, decided two-thirds of the way through that this was the perfect time to pop up a message on my iPad about how it was down to 5% battery, and then I should probably charge my Apple Pencil. Now, normally, this wouldn't be a problem. If you're air playing or using a lightning to HDMI, adapter, you might have a minor inconvenience, but you just tap OK and you keep playing. It's a little embarrassing, but it's not the end of the world. Unfortunately, I was playing this video back from within a keynote presentation. I know... I know, some of you must think I'm crazy, but in my defense, the video was less than two minutes long, so we were about a minute, 20 seconds in, and you know, up until now, I've done this many, many times with zero issues with this method, and the reason, frankly, is is not only to have clean transitions between videos, but it also makes it easy for me to just tell someone, hey, here's the controls, go for it. Uh, all they have to do is just tap on the screen, okay? The video is going to play, and then when that video is done, just tap again, and then the next one will play, and that's all you have to do. Just don't touch it. It's easy and it's simple. With a proper iOS video player app, you'd add more complexity, albeit you would also have finer controls. However, the problem with playing a video in a keynote presentation is that the low battery notification stopped the video playback. And because it's keynote, there's no way to scrub through the video file. You just have to swipe back and play it from the beginning. And that was awkward. So I did what any reasonable person would do in the situation. I yanked out the HDMI cable. Now, here was my reasoning. I knew the raw video file was in iCloud, and I didn't just want to show my iCloud drive to a couple hundred people in the audience, let them get a look at all of my precious files. Unfortunately, this meant that the projector went to a big, bright blue screen with no signal in Japanese. And, and while we could have just ended the day there and said goodbye, this is why production crews and film crews have headsets. The person who was doing the announcing was nowhere to be found. They were supposed to be backstage, but I guess they had gone somewhere. Anyway, he kept ad-libbing, and I kept frantically trying to get the file back up. And just when I got it playing and queued up to the right part, someone in the audience had the remote push the AV mute button, killing the blue screen, locking the projector out, and preventing me from playing the video. So the guy kept on ad-libbing. Oh, look, it's a blue screen. Oh, now it's a black screen. And I played the video. We got audio, but I couldn't find the guy with the remote or the guy ad-libbing. And finally, someone just shouted at him to stop, and we yelled goodbye to everyone, and I slumped off to be embarrassed post-event. After all, the IT department, in this case, that means inspiration tech, consists of me, me and, and me, so they all knew where to place the blame. In the end, though, I certainly learned a lot. One, always have a backup device with whatever you need queued up, ready to go. Two, charge your Apple Pencil, or better yet, turn off Bluetooth. Three, Keynote is great. Until it's not. Uh, such is life. You know, my big mistake was panicking, but we do have our moments. Not many, but we have them. And hey, at least made for a fun story on the podcast, eh? And now let's get to some news. 
Line is scheduled to release the second <clears throat> wave of their Clova Wave smart speakers this week. And if there's one thing you should remember about Japan, it's this. Never underestimate the power of cuteness to sell products. This second set of products comes in two types, both of which are modeled after two of the Line Friends, a series of original characters from the company. Clova Friends Sally is shaped like Line's yellow chick character Sally, and Clova Friends Brown is designed to resemble Line's brown bear character... Brown. Very original. These speakers have the same features as the original Clova Wave, but the major difference is that these speakers are sized to be portable. They're sleeker, slimmer, and while they do have a smaller battery capacity, Line touts that as long as you have Wi-Fi, you can use the smart speaker functions anywhere. They show it being used at a barbecue in the park as an example. Now you can buy your new Line Friends for 8,640 yen, and this includes six months of Line music included. And while the second series of Clova devices may be a little short for a smart speaker, Pre-orders have begun, and sales will begin both online as well as in retail stores on December 14th. By the way, a follow-up on that LinePay prepaid card that I recommended last week. One of my friends was looking to sign up for Line Mobile, but unfortunately, she doesn't have a credit card. One nice thing about having a LinePay prepaid card is that you can use it in place of a credit card. Now, I'm going to do a longer piece on banking and credit debit cards in Japan someday soon. But for now, what you really need to know is that Japan is very much a cash-based system. And getting a proper Japanese credit card as a foreigner in Japan can be difficult sometimes. And although things are changing, you know, with Apple Pay and Android Pay and other mobile payments becoming popular in recent years, simple things like getting a debit card from a bank didn't start becoming a widespread reality until last year. I actually remember getting a notice from my bank last October that they were finally offering Visa debit cards. Last year, in 2016. Yeah. Anyway, back to the Line Pay card. So one of the nice things about this card is that they were sold in convenience stores all across Japan. An emphasis on were sold, because apparently Line announced in October that they are discontinuing sales of Line Pay cards in-store by mid-January. However, we looked around at like 20 different convenience stores, and most of them seem to have already run out of stock. In any case, if you're looking to get a Line Pay card, you can sign up for one in the Line app, and they'll mail it to you within two weeks. You can then charge that with your bank account or some other method, and then you use the card to sign up for Line Mobile. Just make sure you have enough money charged on your card each month to cover the cost of service. And by the way, if you are looking to get a Japanese credit card, I've heard good things about some folks getting lucky applying for a Rakuten card, uh, but I haven't personally used it, and in my experience with getting a card here, there's no such thing as luck. But my friend signed up for her Line Pay card yesterday, and I'll report back once we get her all signed up with Line Mobile. MVNO B Mobile launched their B Mobile S190 Pad SIM this week. It's notable because it's a SIM targeted at cellular iPads that are locked within Japan to SoftBank. The amount you pay increases depending on how much data you use each month. For example, 205 yen gets you up to 100 megabytes. That's great for just basic browsing or having backup data, etc. And up to 1 gigabyte of data will only cost you 583 yen per month. And after that, each additional gigabyte, you'll only pay an extra 378. Now, this is a great plan for heavy Wi-Fi users or folks with a pocket Wi-Fi or a WiMAX. More on those later in the episode. And people who have a SoftBank or SIM-free iPad who want some kind of backup data just in case maybe their pocket Wi-Fi or their WiMAX runs out of battery or they're not near a Wi-Fi hotspot. Maybe they don't want to commit to a more costly plan that they might not use very much. And you know, I always tell people to get a cellular iPad 
ad if you can, especially if you're buying used, as these days the difference is sometimes negligible. And with MVNO data plans being so cheap, it's nice to know that the data will be with you always. And if you're interested, you can sign up now on bmobile.ne.jp. Nissan is scheduled to begin field testing EasyRide, a public, fully automated ride service early next year. Nissan and technology company DNA, which is spelled D-E-N-A, have partnered for this project, and their plan is to have a system in place to allow all aspects of scheduling a ride, including payments, to be handled via a smartphone app. They are also planning to add an option to take the scenic route, so to speak, if you're just dying to get a taste of the city. Now, signups have begun already, and with the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo fast approaching, hopefully Nissan can get this system fully operational so they can show us the firepower of their easy ride station. Maybe I need to take a ride on the roads of Yokohama, which is where you're going to find Nissan's test vehicles beginning on January 15th. Philips has begun official sales of their Hue motion sensor in Japan. Originally released abroad in 2016 and previously only available for sale through third-party sellers in Japan at much higher prices, the Hue motion sensor can currently be purchased on Amazon Japan for 5,391 yen. Now, unfortunately, it's currently back-ordered 8 to 10 weeks, although if my experience at Amazon is any indication, it may suddenly go back in stock without warning. I actually have multiple Hue motion sensors in my place that I brought on a trip to the States, and I love them. I use one to turn the entranceway lights on. I use one in the kitchen, and I also use one in the teeny room between the kitchen and the bathroom. You know, it's really great not to have to worry about turning lights on and off, although I also have a few hue dimmer switches on the wall just in case I need manual controls. Still, it was a fantastic purchase, and since the Echo series of devices has made their way to Japan, I would definitely recommend any of the hue products. Of course, the problem is that a hue bridge leads to a bulb. A bulb leads to a motion sensor, and a motion sensor leads to the dark side of your house being lit up whenever you walk around. But I guess that's why you'd buy one, right? Now, as a huge fan of J-pop and Japanese music and going to concerts in Japan, this one really saddens me. Popular ticket resale site Ticket Camp, which is run by Japanese social networking site Mixi, suspended service last week over suspicions that they had violated trademark and unfair competition laws. Ticket Camp was a site that allowed users to buy and resell tickets to events and concerts, and I've used it over the years to purchase tickets that I couldn't acquire by other means, and even to sell some tickets that I wasn't able to use due to other commitments. Now, Ticket Camp is cooperating with the investigation currently underway, and more information of the findings is scheduled to be announced in due time. Now, while transactions in process are being allowed to complete, TicketCamp has suspended both user registrations as well as new sales of tickets, with existing listings also being pulled from the site. Ah, oh, but I was going to go to TicketCamp to pick up some Power Ranger tickets. Oh, well. Hopefully, competition will pop up soon, or perhaps this whole mess will be resolved. Now, overtime is a huge problem in Japan. Now, customarily, you can't leave work at most businesses until your bosses leave. And this has led to dozens of deaths due to heart attacks, strokes, and even suicides. Earlier this year, Japan had a strong response to a report that a journalist for Japan's national broadcaster, NHK, had died from heart failure in July of 2013 after she put in 159 hours of overtime with only two days off in the month leading up to her death. Now, NHK kept it quiet out of respect for three years. And of course, honestly, the real cause of death here, it was heart failure, but honestly, it was what we call karoshi. 
karoshi is death from overwork. And this kind of case is not uncommon in Japan. Japan has tried to combat this in many ways. Premium Friday was a program launched in February, which encouraged workers to go home early on the last Friday of the month. But this failed big time, partly due to the fact that the last Friday of the month is a particularly busy day for many workers. Some companies have even started turning the lights off after a set time each night to encourage workers to go home. But now, one company aims to annoy workers into leaving with a little help from above. The T-Friend is a drone which hovers over Japanese employees. I'm not making this up. It can navigate on a preset path around floors without needing GPS, and as if the noise from the drone's spinning blades wasn't bad enough, it also blares music, as well as capturing video onto an SD card, and this video can be monitored remotely. The music it plays, by the way, is Odd Lang Sign, which is appropriate given that it's December, but honestly, it has nothing to do with New Year's. It's the song traditionally played in Japan at shops and businesses to provide a gentle way to let customers know, hey, we're closing, so uh, get out. And as if this didn't seem invasive enough, Taisei, the firm who co-developed the system with drone developer Blue Innovation, as well as NTT East, says that perhaps in the future, the system may even use facial technology to recognize workers and keep track of who is in the office after hours and even protect against theft and burglars. I have to tell you... I have a bad feeling about this. Nevertheless, the service is set to begin in April of 2018 with a target monthly price of half a million yen. On to some happier news. My thoughts exactly, Pikachu. Alongside the release of Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, the Pokemon company has launched a campaign in Japan called Pokemon Rescue. The idea is to save those Pokemon that are trapped on older game cassettes from the DS and Game Boy Advance eras. The series of ads features the Pokemon Rescue crew leaping out of their van, almost like a SWAT team, and rushing into people's homes. They dig through old boxes, some of which are filled with some fun Nintendo product cameos, like a Nintendo GameCube controller and a Nintendo 64 box, before finding the old Pokemon cassettes, rushing them back to the lab, and transferring them to a new generation of games. These are super fun commercials, honestly, and one thing that I really enjoy enjoyed was, at least in one of the ads, case number 03, one of the rescue team tells a little boy, we'll definitely rescue your father's Pokemon. And they do! It ends with the two of them playing together. It's really sweet. It's a very well done series of ads. And honestly, it's really important to try to get those old Pokemon onto newer devices and newer game saves. After all, the odds are pretty good that your Pokemon cassette's batteries are dead these days. But then again, never tell me the odds. If you're curious to watch the Pokemon Rescue Team do their magic, there's a link in the show notes. And finally, this made the rounds this week and I just gotta share it. When Tatsuo Horiuchi retired and he decided to take up art, he turned to a piece of software he already had on his computer. Microsoft Excel became his canvas. It's a really incredible story. He's 77 and he makes these stunningly beautiful works of art, all using Microsoft Excel. You know, I was so thoroughly impressed with how well he knows Excel inside and out, as well as how he knows how to use it to create masterpieces. And I'd definitely be thrilled to have one of his paintings on my wall. Actually, they really should hire this guy to make a splash banner or something for the next version of Excel. Seriously, Microsoft, these are definitely the paintings you're looking for. And I can't accurately describe how cool this guy is on an audio podcast. So check out the link in the show notes to the video of the Michelangelo of Microsoft Excel. 
So we've talked about MVNOs, we've talked about home internet, and now we're going to get to maybe one of my favorite topics, hotspots. Now, Japan has two really, truly fantastic options for mobile hotspots. They're affordable, many plans have unlimited, with an asterisk, data, and they're fast. They're so fast, in fact, that I know many people personally who only have a mobile hotspot, who don't even have home internet. Now, I touched on it a bit during episode six when talking about mobile plans for visitors to Japan, but in case you missed it, a mobile hotspot allows you to connect a variety of devices, phones, tablets, game devices, notebooks, basically anything that can connect via Wi-Fi. You can usually have up to 10 devices connected at a time. Plus, no SIM card means you don't need to unlock your phone or any of your devices. Now, there's two basic types in Japan, each with their own pros and cons, pocket Wi-Fi service and WiMAX service. It gets a little complicated, though, and, you know, no reward is worth this. But here we go. Let's start with Pocket Wi-Fi. Now, there are many providers and many different plans to choose from, but the company I used years ago was Y-Mobile. Actually, I was using it back when it was E-Mobile. Before that, it was called Wilcom, and it was actually related to AOL Japan at one point. I think I'm getting sidetracked. Hold on. Can you tell I geek out over telcos and mobile plans? I read this stuff for fun. Anyway, Y-Mobile is actually a subsidiary of SoftBank. Yes, SoftBank. They partially own Yahoo Japan, hence the name Y-Mobile. It's y Exclamation point, mobile. Anyway, uh, they, this may be a reason to go with Y-Mobile. They have a range of products from Pocket Wi-Fi as well as mobile service, and you can get discounts sometimes if you bundle service. So let's just stick with the standard plans because it can get really complicated. Uh, now, you have to be very careful here because many of their plans offer a very, very small amount of data. We're talking 5 to 7 gigabytes a month. And after you use up that data, you're throttled to 128 kbps. Now, actually, I was an e-mobile customer, and I was there when they switched from unlimited plans to capped plans. Actually, I didn't realize that this was happening, and I burned up my data for the month in one day. That was a really unpleasant month, because at the time, I didn't have any real data other than e-mobile. Uh, yeah, that was rough. Uh, so make sure you read the fine print and everything if you can. But you also have to be careful because the plans with the biggest discounts on Y-Mobile require you to sign a three-year, yes, a three-year contract. There are also two modes that you can set your pocket Wi-Fi to, and this is where it kind of gets a little complicated, so just bear with me. You have standard mode and advanced mode. Let's talk about advanced mode first. It gives you unlimited data, but it's only on SoftBank's Advanced Extended Global Platform, or AXGP, network. Now, this is what SoftBank brands as 4G, SoftBank 4G. And while they continue to build out this network, it tends to be more widely available in larger cities. Advanced mode is unlimited, but if you use more than 10 gigabytes over a three-day period, your speeds are going to be throttled. So they calculate this every day based on your usage from the previous three days. For example, if on a Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday combined, you use 15 gigabytes, then from 6 p.m. Thursday until 1 a.m. Friday, you'll be throttled. Now, this sounds bad, but it used to be a whole lot worse. Until earlier this year, it was 3 gigabytes over 3 days with one full day, 24 hours of a throttle. Now, YMAX, by the way, also has the same 10 gigabytes over 3 days limitation, but since I personally only ever use my YMAX during the day, it's rarely a problem for me. Anyway, setting your pocket Wi-Fi to standard mode gives you 7 gigabytes per month of LTE, AXGP, or 3G data. But this is throttled after 7 gigabytes to 128 kbps. 
Now, standard mode has a much broader coverage area. So if you're traveling and you find yourself unable to get data via advanced mode, you can switch modes and keep on racing. It's important to check your coverage area to make sure you have good coverage for pocket Wi-Fi, especially if you live on the outskirts or even in the doinaka in the you know countryside. If you live outside the major cities, you really need to check your coverage area. They're still building out, but it depends on where you live. And honestly, I can only recommend getting a pocket Wi-Fi plan if you get one with advanced mode, i.e. get one with unlimited data. Otherwise, just get a SIM from an MVNO and Tether. It'll be cheaper and it'll have less restrictive contracts. Now, if you do want a pocket Wi-Fi and you are okay with a three, yes, three-year contract, the one I would recommend right now is the Pocket Wi-Fi Plan L plan. Anyway, it offers standard mode with seven gigabytes of data as well as advanced mode with unlimited data, which is throttled after, you know, if you pass 10 gigabytes for 4,380 yen plus applicable fees, taxes, etc. Now, there are other plans too, but if you're really interested, check out ymobile.jp or you can visit one of the major camera and electronic stores for more information. And I will say the one benefit to a pocket Wi-Fi is that because it's built on SoftBank's network, it'll work in more places, including in underground subways and trains as well as in the countryside and honestly it it sounds great but you'll find i'm full of surprises because if you're living in a major city and you have a good solid mobile carrier or an mvno i can't recommend pocket wi-fi having used both ymax is just a better deal and a better experience ymax Yes, Wimax, a word guaranteed to make geeks outside of Japan fall over from laughter. (laughs) You have Wimax, are you crazy? (laughs) Let's just get this out of the way. It has a really bad image outside of Japan, especially in some of the geek and tech communities. It's a quote-unquote failed technology. Who would want that? Well, me? Yeah, me. WiMAX is a standard for long-range wireless networking for both mobile and fixed connections. And while it was once said to be the alternative to cable and DSL, partly due to high costs and limited range, it was really never successful. But actually, this is kind of why I think it was successful in Japan. The, The limited range doesn't really mean much here, at least in the major cities, because by and large, they're much smaller than a lot of cities around the world. Things are just packed tighter here. So WiMAX plans tend to be unlimited, albeit with the same 10 gigabytes of data over three days restrictions, and they throttle you back. But honestly, I tend to burn up over 100 gigabytes of data a month, and since I only ever use it during the day, the throttling isn't really a problem for me. They throttle at night because it's peak time. It's when most people are using it. But, you know, I just use it during the day, and so... Unfortunately, the company I have recommended for years and years, Rakuten Coupon, has become ePark Coupon. Now, Rakuten is one of the major retailers in Japan, the net shopping retailers. They're kind of the Amazon of Japan, you could call them, although Amazon Japan is the Amazon of Japan. But anyway, uh, Rakuten Coupon became ePark, and they've now ceased offering WiMAX service. Now, they were great because they have very low monthly costs. Some of the other WiMAX providers you'll find have higher monthly costs, but they offer cash back or, or maybe they'll offer you a free TV or something. So in the end, you're paying about the same, but I like to have my monthly costs as low as possible, even if it means I don't get any cash back or anything at the beginning. Anyway, at this point, after looking around for a while, my choice is going to have to be the Sonet WiMAX Flat 2 Plus Giga Unlimited Plan. That's Giga Hold Eye. They offer the same router that I have and speeds up to 440 megabits per second. That's incredible. And you know, you don't ever really see that, but I, I tend to get, you know, anywhere between on a good day, 20, 
20, 30. I've seen it up to 100. Depends on where I'm sitting and whether it's busy time or not. Um, but it's definitely, it's enough to do anything you'd want to do, I think, on the internet. Um, I can usually pull a couple megabytes downloads if I if I need to download an iOS update while I'm on the go or something. I've actually done that before. I've gone, I've been at work sitting at my desk. Oh, there's an iOS update. Two gigabytes later, you know, I don't have to worry about it. I mean, that's, that's what you're paying for with an unlimited plan on WiMAX. You're paying for comfort and the freedom to just be like, as long as I'm connected to Wi-Fi, I don't have to worry about my data, you know, as long as you remember that you can't use it at night otherwise, because then they'll throttle you back. On a two-year contract for the WX03 model WiMAX router that I have, you'll pay $29.80 for the first 18 months, you'll pay $32.80 for months 19 to 24, and $41.79 for every month 25 and beyond. Now, a key point to remember is that you really need to take note of when your WiMAX contract renewal month is. Remember, they've got Shibody contracts. It's an auto-renewing contract. Mark it in your calendar when you sign up. It's in your contract. It'll tell you exactly when the month is. Put it in your calendar for two years from now. And that way, and I do this every time, when the time is approaching, you can sign up for a new contract. You'll get a newer, better router, which usually has faster speeds, and you're going to avoid paying the extra 900 or so yen a month after 24 months. Now, they also offer a newer model, the WX04, but this one requires a three-year contract. And honestly, you know, the differences are going to be minimal at best. So I'd recommend sticking with the two-year contract if possible. Anyway, check out so-net.com any.jp for more information. There's a few other different WiMAX providers, and the one that you'll probably hear the most about is UQ WiMAX. UQ is kind of on the border between being a full carrier and being an MVNO. They tend to lean more towards being a full carrier. They have two-year auto-renewing contracts, but they're not one of the big three. Uh, But lately, they've been being very aggressive with their pricing, and they also have iPhones. So they're definitely an option to look into if you want an iPhone and you don't want to go with an MVNO. Plus, if you bundle with mobile phone services, with them, you can save. So that might be a good way way to save if you're looking for WiMAX and to get a mobile phone. And I've included a link in the show notes to a comparison page in Japanese on different WiMAX providers, as well as a link to kakaku.com with some comparisons of both WiMAX and Pocket Wi-Fi service. Kakaku, by the way, is great because it, it not only has internet services and things, but it has comparison shopping and prices on a whole variety of products. So definitely check them out. But you just got to be careful because the monthly cost, quote unquote, that Kakaku shows for things like WiMAX and Pocket Wi-Fi, it usually takes into account the cash back that you're going to receive for signing a contract. Or, as a good friend of mine once said, it's a trap! Okay, so some of you may have caught on to a theme throughout this podcast. Yes, such a feelings. You know it to be true! <coughs> so, um... Yes, I've been slipping in Star Wars quotes along the way during this whole episode. How many are there? Can you find out? Anyway, uh, after all, this week sees the release of Star Wars, Saigo no Jedi, Star Wars, The Last Jedi. And just like The Force Awakens, I'm planning to go see it in MX4D. What is MX4D, Kaylee? Well, it's a motion effects experience. That explains a lot. No, actually, the seats, they shake, rattle, and roll, and you get blasted with air and water. There's wind and lights and all sorts of fun effects. It's kind of like Star Tours at Disney or Back to the Future, the ride at Universal. And, you know, it's a bit gimmicky. But I got to tell you, I thoroughly enjoyed seeing The Force Awakens in MX4D. It was a really unique experience, and it made me glad that I went to see it in the theaters as opposed to waiting for it on Blu-ray or streaming. And I can't wait to have that experience again with The Last Jedi. Now, MX4D 
4D is available at certain Toho cinemas all across Japan, as well as select theater locations in China and a few other countries around the world that you can find it at. There's a couple locations in the States, I think. And I'll try and report back on the NMX 4D experience next week. Actually, I must do or do not. There is no... Ah, you know the rest. Well, that's about it. I guess we're leaving now. And you know, no matter how much we fought, I've always hated watching you leave. We miss you, Carrie. For now, if you can, please subscribe and Overcast or Pocket Cast or whatever podcast app you choose. Sure mean a whole lot to me. This show is also available in Apple Podcasts, and if you could rate or review the show, it would really help me out. It would help out with discovery, help with getting the word out there. And you can find the show notes for this episode at platypuspodcasts.com slash geek slash eight, which is also where you're going to find links to all of my social media. And if you have any comments, questions, concerns, topics, or you just want to chat about anything except Star Wars spoilers, I'd love to hear from you. Please treat them at me on Twitter at KayleeDayo with the hashtag ZetaiGeekDayo so I can find them. Until next week, 以上, Katie de Star. Bye bye. Seno, Studio. A Platypus Podcast Production, Zetai Geek Dayo is.